Hello and welcome. I'm Melissa Snover, the CEO and founder of Nourished, and your host today for the first ever Nourished podcast series, Nourish Your New Year. At Nourished, we believe in five key pillars, technology and harnessing it as an empowerment tool to make dreams come true, nutrition as medicine, and that prevention is always better than cure, entrepreneurial thinking and challenging the status quo to create real positive change in people's lives, sustainability, and really walking that walk, creating businesses which are locally sourced, plastic-free, and sustainable from the top to the bottom. And lastly, plant-based power, veganism and plant-based eating as a choice for the environment and our global public health. Over the series, we'll be talking to some of the most prolific leaders, industry disruptors, and radical thinkers in hopes in, of inspiring you to nourish your health, your mind, your planet, and your community in the new year to come. Today, I am joined by an experienced sustainability leader and circular economy expert, Philip Mossop. Philip started his career at a very young age and started a recycling business in London at the age of 19, then moved on to develop a vast and varied career working alongside retail and food giants like H&M, Starbucks, and Subway to bring the UK's circular economy revolution to fruition. He is currently the COO of Pentatonic, who are an incredibly cool company with a very bold and dramatic mission. They envision a future where recycling, reusing, and repurposing waste material will not only be the social, socially responsible and sustainable thing to do, but will also add value and profit for businesses and consumers across the globe. They're working on lots of cool projects, but I'm not going to steal any more of Philip's thunder. I'll let him tell you more about it. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So as I uh, said in your very brief uh, introduction, um, you started doing recycling at the age of 19. Yes. Um, when I presume it was nowhere near the buzzword that it is today. Tell me about that. No, it was literally a dirty word, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was quite a precocious thing to do, I suppose, as a teenager. And you're right. Uh, the UK at that point recycled less than about 10% of its total waste. Um, recycling was not something that was at the forefront of people's minds. We certainly didn't have uh, people uh, talking about it openly in the media or, 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 or on uh, uh, David Attenborough or anything like that. And it was, uh, it was quite a challenge. I think in those days, people were still in the throes of consumerism. And so it was far more important for people to be able to have things and, and just throw them away and think that uh, think that the waste fairies would deal with it. But uh, yeah, over the last 20 years, I've seen uh, an incredible change in how people view the, the planet and, and, and start, have started to really understand the damaging impacts of things and, and the devastating future we have if we don't do something about it. So it's been a, a wild ride uh, and, and an industry that's constantly in flux and, and moving in the right direction. Uh, and it's been it's been fantastic to be part of it. I can imagine in the very beginning, it was quite a hard sell to get companies to spend more money and time to you know, basically create these initiatives and processes to do recycling. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, I think in the in, in the early days, it were, people were focused purely on the money, whether or not it was uh, cheap to recycle. And in actual fact, it wasn't. So it was it was really quite a tough sell when you're telling people that they should separate out waste, which would take them longer to do. Uh, and when they ask why, and you explain, well, it's the, the right thing to do. And the next question they invariably ask was, will I save money? And, and the answer we had to give them was, no, it's actually going to cost you more money. Um, but we still managed to convince a, a few people uh, to do it, and we, we grew what was a very small business uh, in, into a, a, one of London's best collection companies um, back in the very early 2000s. But we got a lot of help from the government, actually, in those days. It's not often you can say that these days, is it? But um, <laughs> they introduced something called landfill tax and, and started to increase the cost of sending waste to landfill. And eventually there was a tipping point where it became more expensive to not recycle. So that galvanised uh, a, a groundswell, I suppose, of more companies joining up, which perhaps didn't necessarily gel with my my worldview as to why people should be doing it. But frankly, I didn't really care as long as people were signing up to recycle. Uh, and that's a vast difference from where we are today. I mean, we, as a country, we produce about 200, 220, 230 million tonnes in the UK alone each year. Uh, and in terms of recycling levels now, we're, well, we've got a tiny EU target that's, that was set some time ago for 2020 to get to 50%. Uh, we're a little bit below that at the moment. We're about 46% at the moment. So... We're getting closer to it, but a uh, little bit where to go yet. Well, yeah, that is obviously a lot of progress, but still probably, yeah, I think in most consumers and the listeners' uh, minds, not enough, right? And I think um, what you mentioned about fiscal policy, creating the first uh, change point by, in effect, making it the law that these uh, companies had to abide by it is one thing. Yep. But now... Um, um, I think, and please correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think the biggest motivator for businesses to um, really engage in sustainable behavior is the consumer's pound being spent and being mm. conscious consumerism, people spending money with businesses that they think are making sustainable choices. Absolutely right. Uh, I, I think you need a, a number of different factors to get real change um, at, a, at a large scale level. And that's what was needed with waste and recycling and still is needed, quite frankly, across the world in, in lots of different places. But, um, yeah, social pressure was a big one. In fact, when I, I think there was another tipping point for me probably a decade or so ago where most of the reasons that businesses would give us for wanting to change uh, that was, were their employees. Because employees <laughs> would say, look, if we're recycling at home, why aren't we doing it at work? Why do we just have one bin at work? Um and they wanted to see the business do something. And that has now developed into, as you quite rightly say, the consumer. And I think what's, what's, what's really cool to see is that businesses have now recognized the brand value. Um, and so companies perhaps five years ago started to use recycling as a way to communicate their, their social responsibility to customers. Um, you could argue slightly callously, but I mean, that's, that's just the way that the, the, the business goes, isn't it? And businesses will use whatever they, they think customers will buy. Um, what's really interesting is I think as of recently as just a couple of years ago, that's changed again. And I think what, is, what I notice now is it's, if you're not doing it, the ramifications are, are really quite, quite bad. The, 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 there's an expectation now, an absolute expectation that if you are a business operating, you should be doing the most sustainable version, whether it's producing something, disposing of something, making something. You have to have a policy and you have to be seen to be doing something. And that's just created, um, it's created so much movement in the industry from new, new, new innovations coming in, technology, investment, government legislation. Um, there's a real mix of all these different factors that are coming in and, and it is driving things forward. Yeah, I think um, 
although it's probably not the idealistic way of motivating people, fear is a very powerful motivator. And when you look at the news stories where the naming and shaming has happened, you know, with the Nespresso pods and, you know, these massive landfills full of these these pods and the consumer reaction from that, um, obviously no company wants that to be part of their PR um, campaign. So, yeah, that's good that that's causing change. Um, I think you've been talking quite a lot about recycling, and I understand that this obviously was the first step. Um, now we talk a lot more about circular economy, and I, until I had an in-depth conversation with you, was a little bit unclear about the difference between the two. I think the listeners would also really benefit from understanding that. Yeah, I think this is an evolution as well. Um, the the concept of recycling... and. Uh, there's some myths that I, I think need to be debunked about uh, about what we're doing as a society. There's we, we talk about these percentages as I just mentioned, forty six percent for recycling and and landfills dropping every year. So we we probably at the moment send about twenty percent of waste to landfill. Um, that's going to drop down probably about to about ten percent in the next ten years. Where the, the the middle bit is waste to energy, which is where you collect waste and you you generate electricity from it either through some form of incineration or or separation. And there are different some some of these things are necessary and some of them them aren't. But we should always be mindful that it's not really about the percentage. Really what the problem is, is the volume. So even if we were at 100% recycling, it doesn't really work fantastically well if we're just increasing the amount of waste we're producing that needs to be recycled. And we're just constantly producing things. So there's a, a couple of really key points that I think um, you can draw people's attention to. And we're somewhat insulated from this in developed countries. Um, we tend to focus on things that are emotive and things that we see in front of us. So a good example of that would be the, the dreaded straws. Mm. You know, the, the, everybody, you know, my children are aware of plastic straws. Nobody wants a plastic straw anymore. Um, I'll probably get hate mail on Twitter for this, but the reality is changing, taking out plastic straws is not going to do a darn thing. It's not going to affect the amount of recycling that gets done. We should absolutely do it. I'm not suggesting we should continue with plastic straws. Of course not. But it really is just a symbol of what is a far, far bigger problem. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. So in the UK, we produce uh, in the region of about half a ton, about four, 500 kilos per person per year of waste. Oh, my goodness. And it's been like that for quite some time. Um, and that's because we're a very developed country. So in a sort of post-war era, very wealthy country, we got lots of things. And we developed all these mechanisms for making it easier and more efficient for people. So take away coffee cups, uh, food packaging, and so on. Rest of the world in, in developing countries, sub-Saharan Africa, for example, or um, South America, they've got production rates per capita of sort of 150 kilos to 200 kilos per person. And but 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 as a as a as a, as a global society, we're increasing in wealth. And so what's going to happen over the next 20, 30 years is that all the other countries around the world are also going to come up more to our level of producing four five hundred kilos. So to put that into context, there's a, it's a very broad estimate because it's hard to get the round numbers on this, but there's about 2 billion tonnes of waste produced a year on planet Earth. And over the next 15 to 20 years, as places like India, Africa, Latin America, places like that, as they all start to produce more waste, that's estimated to go to about 3.4 billion tonnes. So when we think about plastics, there's a, a slight misconception that's partly led by our insulation, partly led by the way that the media reports it. But there's a misconception, and I get, and I get this from my, my, my children, who are a fantastic uh, resource for, for finding out how people view these things. They think, great, we've got rid of plastic straws, we've halted the problem, and this we're on the road to fixing it. The reality is 
plastic is going to not only not reduce, it's going to double in volume over the next 15 years because we are consuming more. So what's really important is we don't get waylaid on looking at these things in isolation and thinking by getting rid of plastic straws or getting rid of cotton buds, we're going to fix it. We should still do those things. But what we've got to do is slow down the production of waste that, that is what we call linear, that when we make it, we use it and we throw it away. We've got to find ways to reduce the amount of waste we produce as a, as a total. And we've got to find ways after that to reuse it, to find ways to make it. And that's where the circular comes in is how can we not let this go into the waste stream? Because the misconception is if it goes into the waste stream and we recycle it, we've done a great job. And so what's, what's, what's in, it's quite incredible, really, is that my career so far for 20 years has been about trying to convince people to recycle. Now I'm actually saying that even recycling is not very good because the energy consumption, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 the need to collect something, the need to process it, turn it and, and, and to then get the energy out of it all, all those kinds of things. What we want to do is reduce the volume of waste that is being produced as a whole. And that will put less pressure on recycling networks and, and, and systems and processes. It will reduce the amount of carbon emissions because mm. ultimately this is about climate change. Yeah. And, you know, two, and a, two, two billion tonnes of, of waste a year is probably equivalent to something like 30 billion tonnes of CO2 equivalents. It's humongous. Mm. And so when we think about waste and its position within climate change and the impacts we can have, we're very emotive as, as human beings. So the thing that we probably point to the most, for example, is packaging because we see huge mm. amounts of it, or what to our eyes is huge amounts of it. I know when, you know, at home, it's, it's almost unavoidable that you you, know, you look at your, your recycling bin at the end of the week and you've got all these packets, whether it's bread, crisps, or, 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 or drinks. And we're moving towards this, this reuse thing by using reusable coffee cups. Mm -hmm. And all of that is fantastic because it reduces the need to use it in the first place. So they're really good things to do. Um, but the reality is, in the UK, we actually recycle already about 70% of packaging. Yeah. Most of packaging is quite easy to recycle mm -hmm. um, because it's made from things like LDP, low-density polyethylene or PET. And there are recycling pro processes in place to get uh, those things back into the supply chain. Where we have problems are what we, when we have composite materials. So if you mm. either fuse two different materials together, mm -hmm. or the worst one is if you just create a product that has different materials. So mm. furniture, for example, normally has it has fabric, and then it'll have a foam, and then it'll use wood for legs, and then use staples, then glues. That makes it very hard to disassemble at the end and, and, and quite hard to go into the recycling system mm -hmm. um, and to get and to get those materials back into a single state again. So circular economy is about a number of things, but first and foremost, it's about trying to reduce the amount of waste that's produced in the first place. And if we are producing something that we might originally or, or, or previously thought of as a waste, instead we can think of it as a resource again, that that material has a value. And what we want to be able to do is minimise the amount of work that's required to get that material back into the supply chain to be turned into something else. Mm -hmm. turned into something else or to be reused again. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a number of ways that you can do that. Um, and it really starts with the design of products. And I think what we will see, and we're starting to see it now, but I think what we'll see over the next couple of years is an absolute revolution of product design. And I read this on uh, almost a daily basis now. Um, the supermarkets in the UK, for, for example, just this week have announced they're finally getting rid of the black colorants that go into the takeaway food packaging. And it's right. such an incredible thing because if you find out why that happened, it's, it's a real, it's, it's a real in, incredible dull moment. You, you can't believe that we've, we've made this decision. But the reason why things like lasagna packets or whatever else are, are in, in black trays was because a marketeer back in the 70s did some, um, uh, some research and thought that it made the product look more premium. 
than if it was in a white packet. And so we started adding little drops of black colorant to the packaging to make it look like it was better. But actually, the recycling systems can't then recycle it. Yeah. So millions of tons of plastic that was perfectly recyclable hasn't been because a marketeer thought that he just made it look a bit better. And we're waking up to these things now. So people are saying, I... Consumers are saying, I don't, I don't care that it's in black because I know that if it's in a black packet, it's going to be hard to recycle. So I want you to do it in black. So the supermarkets are all now announcing that they're going to do that. That makes it easier to get it back into the supply chain. Um, there's also some more government legislation coming out. Um, and that is going to be something called an extended producer responsibility scheme, um, the EPRS. And, and that's effectively, it's more complicated than this, but but for, for, for simplicity terms, it's effectively going to tax companies for using multiple materials. So mm. if you've got, say, for example, a water bottle that's got a metal screw top, but a plastic case and then a paper yeah. uh, label, you've got three it. materials yeah. on that. Mm -hmm. And so what the government will do is say, well, that's not a very sustainable packaging, is it? Because you could have done the whole thing out of a single material, a mono material, like PET. You could have done a PET lid. You could have done a... And so if you've got a single material, you'll, you'll end up getting, uh, paying slightly less for it because they won't be charging to recover that material. It's called 100% net cost recovery. So they're going to charge the producers, the manufacturers, uh, in order to recover the cost for that. So I think what you'll see over the next couple of years is a shift from packaging and a shift from from, from businesses to move to more sustainable packaging. Um, so when you go past the design stage, you then get into what you're making the material out of. So for example, in plastic products, there's very, very little recycled content used. And there's a number of reasons for that. Part, some, some of it is about the, the degradation of material, but part of it is about infrastructure and um, the, the perception of it. And part of it's le legislation again. So, for example, you can't use recycled content in food packaging because mm. the laws prevent it. Mm -hmm. but it, it. But the reality is that it, it, it's not that much work to really just reframe that and look at it and say, well, actually, we totally could use recycled content in water bottles or in food packaging. So I think you'll start to see a shift towards using more recycled content. But I, I think the thing that I'm most, most passionate about, particularly in uh, the juxtaposed uh, world we're living with, like high fashion and luxury, and um, is, is that recycling has always been seen as something that's downstream. So it's seen as something that the second life of a, of a product or a material is worse than the first. And, and we're starting to challenge that because I think the reality is that recycled materials can be beautiful. And the fact that it's got um, obsolescence taken out of it, not built into it, and the fact that it's got a very clear life cycle that just because of it, it, something's reached the end of its usefulness and its lifespan in, in its original form doesn't mean that it can't have really fantastic life in the second form. And so um, textiles in particular, um, fashion is, is, has been criticised a lot recently, quite rightly so, in my opinion, about throwaway, fast fashion, making things cheaper because of that consumer demand saying we want cheaper. So the brands have responded to that to find out ways to make it cheaper. So they've been doing things like getting polyester blends and mixing them together, but without thinking about the fact we can't separate them afterwards. Mm. There's no technology exists that can actually separate it again. And that's now coming to an end because consumers are saying, my awareness is now better and I can see that this is not good. I don't want this anymore. I'd rather pay a little bit more and consume a little bit less. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be able to know that at the end of the life of the jumper that I'm wearing, because it's a natural fibre, that I've got a very clear route to send that back in, take it back to the store and have the store collect it separately and go back through a process to make more products. Um, and where we're, I mean, the, the business I'm at, at the moment, Pentatonic, um, we're working with some incredible brands um a, a good example i'll give you starbucks we've, we've just produced a chair um it's the the, the bean chair 
the, the lounge chair that I mean, Starbucks ran well. And we've managed to make the, recreate the chair. And it's indistinguishable from the normal chair that they've used, the, the, the original chair that they've used over the years. But it's entirely made from Starbucks waste. Completely. That's cool. We've created a polypropylene uh, base, which is collecting in um, the Frappuccino cups and granulating them down. You clean them and using injection molding techniques um, to be able to create a, a strong and stable base. We've used, um, instead of using cotton or, or textiles, we're using PET, which is uh, a, a, another plastic. But the plastic is from recycled material. But by treating it differently, instead of melting it down and granulating it, you can almost weave it. You can sh uh, finely shred it mm -hmm. um, and, and treat it almost like cotton. You can weave it and you create a fabric. But effectively, this is a plastic. It feels fantastic. So just a 100% recycled PET fabric. And then we've taken other techniques by figuring out how to do folds instead of having to use... Um, metal staples, we've figured out how to use um, milk from rice husks so that it actually creates an adhesive to it. But what we've created is a chair that's not only made out of waste material, but it's completely re-recyclable at the end of its life. It's very easy. It's completely modular. So we can take the top off and the bottom. We don't need to shred it, granulate it, try break it apart in order to separate metals from plastics, from woods, from anything else. And what we've, what we've done as a sort of final bit to that is we've added... Um, uh, an RFID chip to it so that we can actually track and trace the entire life cycle of the product. And we put a deposit on the chair because effectively the deposit is for the material. The material, we have to start valuing things more. Um, plastic gets this terrible rep um, and it is pilloried as being, you know, the, the, the devil material. Um, it's not. Plastic's actually an incredibly fantastic product. It's cheap to make. Uh, it's very durable. It's got terrific use cases in things like food packaging and, and, and healthcare and medical. Mm -hmm. What we've done is we've abused plastic. We've treated it completely wrong and come up with all the worst possible solutions for it. Single-use plastic is, is just crazy. And it's, I mean, it's fantastic that you look at that now and most people would agree and go, you're right, it makes no sense whatsoever. Yet as little as five years ago, people didn't. They had no qualms about using single-use plastic. So plastic's not going to go away, it's going to stay. But we've got to be able to treat it with some kind of respect rather than thinking that it's this, this awful, terrible thing. So with the chair, for example, we put this chip in it so that if for every reason it, it breaks, it, get, it reaches the end of its useful life, instead of throwing that away and expecting somebody else to recycle it, we take ownership for it. And so as that material comes back to us, we give a deposit back on it. And that's what creates the circularity because that becomes our raw material to make another chair or another product, maybe a food tray. We're making a range of accessories and tools like food trays and uh, points of sale equipment, tabletops, fixtures, fittings. There's a whole range of things that you can do with these materials if you treat the material with respect. So circular economy, I think, is is where it's at now, and, and that's what we're going to be moving towards. There's, uh, the EU have brought out and adopted something called the EU Circular Economy Package, which is a, a fantastic suite of measures that is designed to encourage people to reuse materials and ensure that we don't look at things as waste anymore and we, we look at them as a resource. That is a very good education on circular economy. <laughs> Thank right. you so much. Um, no, and I think for the average listener, the average consumer, that's something that is um, not really understood fully. Um, I think the the whole thing around plastics getting such a horrible name um, is exactly as you said, down to media perception, but also because there's a lack of education and information being shared. Um, and actually, I would love to, we don't have too much more time, but I would love to um, 
close out our conversation by touching on another point, which I think is quite confusing in the public view. Um, in order to enable the listeners to make better choices in the new year and to make little changes every day in their life that will hopefully create a more sustainable um, you know, future for everyone, because if we all start to do little things. And the thing I was really thinking about was compostability. Mm. Right? You get this heard about quite a lot. There's a lot of people claiming compostability on packaging. It's like if plastic is the devil, compostability is is you know, the angel. And so how do you really determine what is really good as compostable and what's not? And I know there's a lot of uh, controversy around the claims made in relation to industrial compostable. And you've explained it to me before really well. And yeah. I would love for, yeah, that knowledge to be passed on to the listeners. Um, so it's an exciting area, for sure. Um, and there are, there, there, are, there are some confusing elements to it. I, I probably would start with the first thing. There's a difference between compostability and biodegrading. Um, so when something's listed as biodegradable doesn't mean that it will break down. And of course, the thing I think a, a lot of listeners will be aware of is microplastics. Mm. So when it biodegrades, what happens is it really just breaks up into pieces, into small pieces, as opposed to actually going back into the earth mm -hmm. and, and becoming part of the ecosystem again. And that uh, when rain comes in, that can wash it down, it becomes microplastics. That's what ends up in the oceans and it's not good. So. That's being outlawed. I mean, that's very, very quickly been seen as something that is not an improvement at all. It's something that's actually going to make things worse. Mm -hmm. um, but something being compostable, which technically is good, you're absolutely right. There's different com um, compositions and different uh, states that it will decompose in. So some things will only decompose in something like an in-vessel compost, which is a large scale where the, the heat temperature mm. um, gets to a certain amount that breaks down the, the, the bacteria. Um, so can I ask a question before you move on? So if, yeah. for example, uh, a product that was that type of compostable ended up in a landfill and wasn't heated with that level of heat, what would happen to it? It'll stay it, or it'll just break down a little bit. So the, the things that you're looking for the most are is if something's home compostable, that's the best that you can get because that means you don't need a big commercial infrastructure to do it. Um, you can put it out in your garden and you're composting and the, the, the conditions are right that that will compost. And it doesn't really matter if it takes, you know, 12 weeks, 24 weeks or, or 36 weeks, as long as you know that whatever, because it's not really about the, the, the what's happening at the end of it. it. It really gives you all the information about what it's made from in, from in yeah. the first instance. Mm. Um, and if it's home compostable, then it's obviously been made with something like a PLA or a wood pulp or something like that that's, that can break down quite easily. And if something is home compostable, even if it doesn't get put in a garden in your backyard, if it goes into a landfill, it will decompose anyway and not become, you know, part of a mounting pile of, of rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was always something that I was really confused about and I found really interesting because I think as a consumer, you you think you're doing the right thing. You're trying to do the right thing. So you put things in recycling bins, um, you buy products that are compostable. But actually, if they're not being treated in the right way, if half of these claims are really just a, a PR um, it, exercise. You, you can't always look at it in isolation as well. I mean, there, there, there is one also truth that's a little bit uncomfortable at the moment, but but I think people should look on the, the, the good side for it. But the move to compostable takeaway packaging, for example, mm. people then put it in their food waste. Unfortunately, the reality is that at places like anaerobic digestion facilities, because previously all anything like a packaging um, element would be classed as plastic, they put depackaging solutions 
on the front because they don't want plastics in with all the food because it mm. will break down the mix and won't get the right the yeah. right results. So industry at large has to catch up with that because it's very hard to now distinguish between what is plastic and what is not plastic. Yeah. <laughs> so that that can be tricky to do on a large scale. But 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 again, it's all about awareness. And because everybody's aware of this, everybody's now focused on the same issues. And by everybody, I mean effectively the three elements that make up the the, the groups of society. You've got you've got businesses and the brands mm-hmm. and the packaging companies that are putting this out there. The consumers that are trying to make the right decisions and make the good the, the good choice. And then government that is trying to support the right ecosystem so that the investment is there and the business is there and that people are given the guidelines to be able to do the right thing. So it, it, it will not happen overnight. But I mean, having been in this industry for 20 years, the, the pace at which we're looking to change things now is quicker than ever. So um, I, I definitely try to be an optimist when I'm looking at these uh, these problems. Very good. Well, um, I'm afraid we don't have any more time and I'm uh, also very conscious of your valuable time. So I just want to thank you for coming. I hope that the listeners got a little bit of an education to help them make better choices about sustainability in the new year. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.